Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. It's wonderful to be here and it's wonderful to see so many of you here as well. It's cold, it's rainy, it's the middle of the school holidays, but to put a priority on meeting together is wonderful. There is so much benefit to meeting together um, and worshipping together. I've got a, um, a challenging message today on the desires of our heart. And this is a, um, it's challenging because whenever I am given a topic to preach on, it's, it's like being told that you've got to run like an aerobics or CrossFit class for someone. It means you're going to have to do some work yourself and to work through some stuff yourself. So I've worked through a bit of stuff uh, in this and I'm still doing so. And now I'm inviting you to have a turn at it too. So we're going to look at the desires of our hearts together and um, how, our, how we can get to a spot where the desires of our hearts are actually eclipsed by the desires of God's heart. Because when that happens, that's when the world really changes. So we're in the middle of a series that is looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today we come to Matthew 6. So I'm going to read uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at today, and then um, we'll get on into it. So Matthew 6, 16 to 24 says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now there is a lot to cover in this passage and I'm not even going to try to cover all of it. Particularly there, there is some teaching on fasting and on money that we could go into a lot more depth on. But what I want to focus to uh, on our time together this morning is one of the main underlying themes of this passage and that is, what is your treasure? Who do you serve? Or to put it another way, what are the desires of your heart? What do you desire most in life? What do you spend your time and your energy dreaming about and working towards? This is actually the bulk of what this passage speaks to. In verse 21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or in other words, look at what you store up as treasure and it will reveal to you the desires of your heart. Is your treasure in things that don't last or is it in things that will last like a relationship with God and with his children. So if you're ready to tackle this question today about what are the desires of your heart, and if you're willing to let God have a look at that and maybe transform those a bit, 
then I'm going to pray. And if you're not ready for that, that's fine too. You can just sit here and watch everyone else squirm and struggle with this difficult question. Uh, we're all the different spots of the journey. There's no pressure, but I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you do want to transform us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, that this morning you want to look at our desires and specifically you want to show us how to surrender our desires and to take on the desires of your heart, Lord. So, God, we want to bring that before you this morning and ask that, Holy Spirit, you would do a work in every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in looking at the desires of our hearts today, we're going to do three things. Firstly, we're going to reflect, then we're going to surrender, and then lastly, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do some transformation in us. Now, these verses in Matthew 6 look to expose our desires, and Jesus starts by talking to two very big desires of the human heart. He talks about glory and wealth. So first, glory. He says that um, Jesus um, notices that fasting was being done for show a lot in his time, and that that exposed our desire for personal glory. We like to look good. We like for people to think that we're good, to think that we're amazing, to have a good reputation. Uh, and he also exposes the desire to be wealthy, to have the means to be able to do whatever we want. Jesus cares about what we desire. Now, money is an interesting one because money can often show up the other desires of our heart. Hardly anyone desires money just because it is shiny and looks cool, except for the odd coin collector. I don't mean odd as in strange coin collector, I mean as in occasional, the occasional coin collector. No offence to anyone who collects coins, don't throw your coins at me. Generally, we go after money because it gives us the power to pursue the desires of your heart, right? Money can tell you a lot about what it is that you actually want. Often where your money is, there is your heart. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers the first time they got paid does anyone remember the first time they got paid? Yeah, I do. And I can tell you what I spent it on. I remember I was a teenager and the job that I was working, I got paid at the end of each shift. And so at the end of my first shift, I remember walking out of work feeling like the richest man alive because I'd earned just under 50 bucks. And I took my 50 bucks straight to sanity and, and I bought myself a Coldplay compact disc. And then, because I was on a bit of a hot streak, I went straight from there to the pet store and bought myself a bag of shiny blue pebbles for my fish tank. I lived it up that day. <laughs> Can I tell you, I went home that day with my two purchases feeling like a king. I felt like a hunter who just killed a stag to feed his family. I had the power to get the things that I wanted all by myself without mum or dad. That lasted for a little while till I'd needed petrol for the car and blown my cash on sanity and fish pebbles. Now, these purchases showed a little bit about what I really desired. Firstly, it showed me that I really uh, loved music and also that I loved my three pet fish. More than my love of music and my fish, my first purchases showed that I had a desire for um, my own space and for that space to be somewhat nice and creative and enjoyable. I had another friend who, with his first pay, he actually bought myself and all of our friend group uh, Maccas for lunch. The desires in his heart was for uh, time with his friends and to, and to bless others. 
Uh, you see a similar thing when someone wins lotto, right? So there's been some odd purchases when people win lotto. Some people buy football teams. Uh, some people um, pay off parents' mortgages. Not that's an odd choice at all. Others will pay for you know a dream overseas holiday for all the extended family and their friends. Each purchase reveals a bit about the desires of your heart. Uh, this fellow is Michael Carroll. Now, Michael won the English lottery when he was 19 years old. And when his numbers came up, Michael went straight in and collected his 10 million pounds. He bought a massive mansion in a fancy suburb, a whole bunch of sports cars, kitted himself out in outrageously expensive bling, some of which you can see there on his highly fashionable outfit. Now, this um, is not unusual uh, spending uh, habits for somebody who's just won lotto. In fact, he spent so hard that after 10 years, he was completely broke, didn't have a penny to his name. But some of his purchases were particularly unusual. So one of which was that he bought a whole bunch of cars and then he got a whole bunch of dirt and a whole bunch of tractors and he pulled up all these machines and all this dirt into his mansion and his fancy suburb and he landscaped a, um, a racetrack in his backyard and he held demolition derbies there with all of his mates all through the night. So if you think you've got noisy neighbours, just be glad that your neighbour, next time they're keeping you awake at night listening to you know, music that you didn't want to listen to, think it could be worse. It could be a demolition derby going on in the neighbor's backyard. Michael obviously had a deep desire to have fun, to have fun with his friends and to do something wild and adventurous. And when he was handed 10 million pounds, he spent it all on chasing adventure and fun with his friends. Now, that's not to say all those desires are bad, but just to say that money shows up the desires of our hearts. If you want to know if you desire some of the pleasures of the world, look at what you spend your money on. If you want to know if you have a desire to help people, look at what you spend your money on. Money shows up and amplifies the desires of our heart. It's one of the reasons that Jesus warns so strongly against it. It can amplify the unhealthy desires of our heart too and turn them into real beasts that can then cause pain and destruction for ourselves and for the people around us. It's impossible to serve both God and money because it is essentially a choice of letting God be in charge of your life or yourself. So what does your treasure reveal about your heart? It might not be money that shows you this, but it's often a good place to start. What do you desire most? Is it possessions? Is it status? Is it health? Is it safety? Is it your reputation? Because your desires will set the direction for your life. They can determine your decisions, your behavior, your relationships. Your desires can have a profound impact on the world around you. Just like Michael Carroll's desires had a profound impact on his neighbors. See, Jesus knew this truth. He knew about the power of the desires of our hearts. God cares deeply about our hearts. Let's remember that that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for us, to pay the price for the sinful inclination right here in our hearts. Jesus came to save us from the inside 
out. He starts in here and then he works his way out by the power of his Holy Spirit because what happens in here sets the direction for your whole life. So let's take a minute just to reflect. What do you desire? Secondly, surrender. In order to address the desires of our heart, we need to surrender. We need to trade the desires of our heart for the desires of God's heart. So let's look at this second uh, topic that Jesus talks about in this passage. We've spoken briefly about money. Now let's turn briefly to fasting. Now, fasting has become a bit more trendy recently than it has in the past. Thanks to diet circles, it's a bit on point. We've all heard about how there's benefits to intermittent fasting for our general health, weight loss, slowing down aging, fighting disease. However, fasting as something, um, as a Christian practice, hasn't been as trendy in Christianity in the West for a little while. Um, My first experience of fasting was the 40-hour famine. Anyone remember the 40-hour famine? Yes. Yeah, I remember I did my first 40-hour famine when I was a teenager. And I tell you, I didn't know what hit me. I thought I was going to die. And that was half an hour into the 40-hour famine. (laughs) I, like most uh, Australian uh, teenagers, had not experienced real hunger up until doing the 40-hour famine, nor had I experienced the really disappointing taste of barley sugars until the uh, 40-hour fam. There's no way in the world that is actually should be in the confectionery section. It is flavourless and bland and only a survival mechanism for fasting. Fasting back in Jesus' time was not a novelty. It was part of the weekly practices of the Jewish people. In fact, the Pharisees and religious leaders who Jesus is probably referencing when he speaks of hypocrites generally conducted two fasts per week. And their motives for this, as Jesus pointed out, were all wrong. It was about getting something out of it. Uh, Similar to Jesus' teachings on giving in Matthew 6, 1-2, which we looked at in previous weeks, these public displays of fasting two times a week were for their own glory to show how holy they were, how good they were, what a wonderful person they were. Now, as I mentioned before, in our affluent Western society, bragging about fasting until recently has not been something that you come across much. But we can have a similar problem to the hypocrites in Matthew 6. And the problem is this, that when we do fast in prayer, we do so in order just to get something from God. Fasting becomes about getting something from God. Now, this isn't a completely bad idea. Just hear me out for a second. In Matthew 17, 21, Jesus encourages fasting in order to combat evil spiritual forces. In other words, if you want God to move an evil spiritual force in your life, then fast. That's Jesus' instruction. So in this case, Jesus is showing that fasting will well and truly get you something from God. And more broadly, Jesus isn't opposed to us trying to get something from God. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.11, just prior to this passage, Jesus encourages us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And then in the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, Jesus takes it a step further by almost asking us to nag God when we need something. 
But my point is this, and that is that fasting is about so much more than just getting something from God. Because when we spend time fasting in prayer before God, something hugely significant happens. When we fast, we lay down our desires. And in laying down our desires, we are able to catch the desires of God's heart. I'll say that again. When we fast, we lay down our desires. And in doing so, we are able to catch the desires of God's heart. This is one of the truly amazing patterns of God's behavior. When we go in asking for something, he gives us something even better. We might go in desiring one thing and he gives us something greater because what he does is always beyond what you could have imagined for yourself. And that's because the desires of God's heart far surpass the desires of your own heart. Whatever you could hope and dream of for yourself is nothing compared to what God desires in his heart for you. I'm an old Novocastrian. What I mean by that is that I've lived here my whole life and I lived here from before other people were particularly racing up to live here. I'm one of those people who can remember the permanent fixture of the sulfuric cloud that used to be on the horizon above BHP every day. I remember when our local soccer team or national soccer team was not national. Our team in the national comp in soccer were called the Breakers and they played out of a stadium in Birmingham Gardens. I remember when local celebrities were Mr. Doobie and um, Super Hubert. Yes, all sorts of strange going on there. Um, Big Dog and to a lesser extent... Prime Possum, who is really just riding on the tail of Big Dog. You can always tell if someone is an old Novocastrian because they're the ones who get angry when it takes longer than 10 minutes to get from one area of Newcastle to the other. Or they get in a real foul mood because you can no longer hitch a ride on the coal train all the way to the beach. Now, for those of you who have been in Newcastle for over 20 years, you may remember what the city centre used to be like. See, Newcastle used to be like a black hole. All the good bits are on the outside, and then the middle was death and destruction. See, now it's all trendy restaurants and speakeasy bars and million-dollar apartments, but it was not always like that. Hunter Street looked like a war zone, and you only ever went there if you felt like getting mugged or stabbed or both. Literally, nothing survived in town. Even Maccas had a go at it. They tried to put a Maccas in Hunter Street Mall. And you would think that if any business could survive anywhere in the world, it would be the world's biggest fast food franchise. But even it shut down after just a few months due to the high rates of crime and even lower rates of hygiene. It was sucked into that black hole vortex, which was the city centre of Newcastle. But then 20 years ago... Some innovative people came up with a proposal to start renting out all of these vacant shop fronts in the city to the local artists for free. Because if you know anything about artists, it's that they have full brains but empty bank accounts. So it had to be for free for this to work. So an organisation called Renew Newcastle took off offering free rent on the vacant shop fronts to the local artists who needed a place to sell all the wonderful things that they were making. And the experiment worked. 
Hunter Street Mall stopped being a cesspit of crime and turned into something that you could safely walk down most times of the day. You still couldn't drive down it yet. That took a while to convince that we could drive cars down it again. But looking back at that experiment, uh, it achieved far more than it initially set out to do. Not only did the city centre become safe and clean and tidy, but it also became a desirable place to live. And so renovators soon followed and then developers. And now the city is completely transformed from what it was 20 years ago. Now, our lives are a bit like this. We get a bit of an idea that might help. You know, we think, oh, if we do this, if if God, if you just did this, it would tidy things up a bit and breathe some life into us. So we bring it before God. But then God does far more than we could expect because the God who moves into our hearts is both an artist, a renovator, and a developer. And he completely transforms us. We go in asking for some sort of material provision and he gives us the glories of heaven. We go asking for healing and he gives us a peace that passes all understanding. We go asking for comfort and he gives us his divine presence before, behind and all around us. We go in asking for something based on the desires of our heart and God gives us something far greater, the desires of his heart. See, when Jesus speaks about fasting, it is not just about getting what we want. Fasting is about laying down our ideas, our plans, and our desires. Fasting is about putting a stop to serving ourselves and instead encountering the ideas, the plans, and the desires of our great, true, faithful, powerful, beautiful, merciful, kind, almighty God. Surrender. Trade the desires of your heart for the desires of God's heart. They are so much greater than anything you could possibly imagine. Lastly, transformation. When we surrender our desires, God gives us his desires and we start to be transformed. We start to love like God does. Sometimes it can take a bit of searching for us to understand what the desires of our heart are. But it's pretty clear to understand what the desires of God's heart are because he makes it abundantly clear in his word and in his interactions with us throughout all of human history. His desires are for his glory and for his children. Jesus said this in John 13 verse 35, By this everyone will know the You are my disciples. So by this, if you love one another. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. People will know that you are like me if you love like me. People will know that you are like Jesus if you love like Jesus. This is one of the greatest transformations that happens in the human heart when it comes to know the heart of God. It starts to love other people like God loves other people. How often in church history have we got this wrong? How quick are we to criticise, attack, think the worst and whisper about each other and the rest of the world? And how slow are we to fast and pray for each other? Can you imagine how much less division and hurt there would be in the world if all of the Christians stopped and fasted before we opened our mouths? I'll be more specific. 
Next time we want to criticize someone, how about we stop and fast and pray before we speak a word? How about we ask God that we might love like He does? See, we think we know what other people need. We think we know what we need. But then we bring our desires before God. And I can tell you that the desires that God has for you and for the person that you have a grievance or concern for are far greater than whatever is in your heart right now. If you let Him, if you surrender your desires before Him, He will start to cause you to love like He does. Just want to show you a quick video. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? My neighbor, I'm glad we're together again. I recently watched a terrific movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Has anyone seen it? If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It is just the most wonderful movie I've seen in a long time. Now, it's a fictional movie about a real guy called Fred Rogers who you just saw there on the screen. He was a Presbyterian minister who started a children's show, I think, in the, in the 1960s. Now, if you watch the show, it's obviously very dated and a bit daggy now. But Mr. Rogers is widely known for innovating a lot of children's entertainment on television shows. For instance, he was the first person to speak directly to children through the camera. He was the first person to engage directly with children um, in imaginative play through the camera. And he was also um, had a reputation for not shying away from difficult topics in his shows, such as divorce and death. And he was especially popular for his message to children in every single um, episode. And that was that each child is wonderful just the way they are. Um, but in this movie that I watched about Mr. Rogers, it's not his innovations as a children's entertainer that is the theme of the movie. It's uh, his kindness. Um, the movie follows this fictional journalist called Lloyd Vogel who's commissioned to write an article on Mr. Rogers. So he goes out to try and find some dirt on him uh, by interviewing him and spending time with him. 
And he does find out that uh, Fred Rogers wasn't a perfect guy, um, that he had a bit of a difficult time with uh, one of his sons when, uh, when he was growing up, that he um, lost his temper at times, that he stopped making the show for a few years because he couldn't think of anything left to contribute or say to children. But the thing that strikes this journalist most of all as he spends time with Mr Rogers is just how kind he is. And there's acts of kindness throughout the movie that we see that greatly impact this, uh, this journalist. So there's uh, the fact that Mr. Rogers stops recording his shows, even if he's almost finished recording an episode, just to greet and acknowledge new people as they enter the studio. Or that he runs late to work because he takes the time to watch a child swing a plastic sword and just takes the time to keep watching the child swing the plastic sword. That he sits and listens when he meets someone new and gives them his full attention. That he prays for every person by name each morning while he's having his daily devotionals and swim, swimming his laps. And, uh, and even towards a journalist, he, uh, he, he sits with the journalist while the journalist's father is dying, bakes him a pie and sits with him. Now, the movie, not once does it mention uh, Jesus, but the work of Jesus is absolutely evident throughout this whole movie. Because here is a man who has spent time allowing his heart to be eclipsed by the heart of God. And it is evident in his actions towards others. It is evident in his love for others. See, bringing our desires before God is not just about us getting something. It is about us becoming something. It is about us becoming more like our amazingly kind God. See, the world doesn't need more clever Christians. It doesn't need more prosperous Christians. And that's not to say that either of those things are bad and that we shouldn't be them. But I tell you what sort of Christians the world needs. It needs more loving Christians. Christians who will transform the world by how they love one another. You know, when people encountered Jesus about 2,000 years ago, what do you think the main thing was that they remembered about him after he was gone? Do you think it was uh, some of the good ideas and amazing teaching that he said? Do you think it was the physical healings? And as amazing as both of those things are, I believe that the main thing that people took away and still take away from meeting Jesus is that he loves them. Think of the woman who couldn't stop bleeding in Mark 5. Do you think that the main thing that she took away from her encounter with Jesus was that her bleeding stopped? Or do you think it was the fact that Jesus loved her enough to stop what he was doing, which incidentally was really important. He was racing to save a sick girl from dying, but he stopped to find her, to know her, and then to underline his absolute love for her by healing her. What about Nicodemus in John 3? Do you think that the main thing that he took away from his time with Jesus was that Jesus was an amazing teacher, which he was? Or do you think it was that Jesus graciously met with him in the middle of the night after ministering and preaching and walking all day and Jesus was an early riser, he didn't sleep in, he sat with him in the middle of the night, didn't ridicule him and gave him all the time and all the answers to his biggest questions just because he loved him. 
It is the love of God that transforms. And it is the love of God that fills our hearts and our minds when we lay everything else down and come before Him. Surrendering our desires before God is not simply about getting something from Him. It's about becoming like Him. And what Jesus invites us to here in this passage in Matthew 6 is not about how to get what we want from God, but how do we start wanting what God wants? How do our desires shift to become His desires? Because when that happens, others encounter the love of God. And when that happens, people come to know Jesus. And when that happens, the world changes. So what do you desire most? Let's reflect, surrender, and then be transformed. Let's bring those desires before him right now so that he may give us greater desires, the desires of his heart. I'm going to invite the the band up, and I'm not worship leading today, but can we do that last, last song, the Amazing Grace one? from the bit where Luke um, leads us with his guitar. I love it when Luke leads us with his guitar. Anyone else like Luke leading us with his guitar? It's beautiful. I love to see people uh, worshipping with the gifts that God has given them and that they've cultivated. So I want us to, uh, we're going to stand and we're just going to allow a little bit of time for God to speak to us about the desires of our hearts. And I want to allow a bit of time for you to surrender those desires of your heart and allow a bit more time for the Holy Spirit to transform the desires of your heart to the desires of His heart. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us, God. I feel like I thank you for that all the time, and I probably should never stop. It's amazing the love you have for us, God. Thank you that you know the conditions of our hearts. You know what it is that we desire, what it is we go after. And God, you care about that. Lord, right now as we spend a bit of time with this song, Lord, I ask that you would help us to just clarify what those desires are that are bubbling away in our hearts there so that we can bring them before you, so that you can take them and you can give us something far greater. You can give us the desires of your heart that we may love the world like you have loved the world. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to do that work in us. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love for us and for the work of your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, do as you will in our hearts. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.